the one thing over the years of doing this that I think stands out more than any other, really smart people listen to others' advice. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is all about creativity and hustle happening in and around the great state of Montana. Thanks for tuning in today. We are in full swing of summer here in Western Montana. And uh, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. Just a few things to that we're thinking about here at the podcast. First, we're thinking of the sustainability of our calendar. I'm trying to watch the listenership and would love to hear from you um, whether once every week or once every two weeks. Uh, maybe once every week in the semester or and once every two weeks out of the semester. Uh, just if you have a preference with regard to how how regular the content um, is coming out. We have no sh- sort of shortage of material. Uh, we have a little bit of shortage in terms of the resources we have to put together our episodes every week. But um, if the audience wants it, we'll do it. So let us know what you think. Secondly, along those lines, if there are guests... Uh, that you'd like to see, please let us know. Shoot me an email at anewangle at umontana.edu and uh, let us know how, how we can make this operation better. Uh, one comment that I've heard from a few people throughout the community is that there seems to be a bit of a, a core listenership that is uh, pretty strong, pretty committed, and pretty interested in the, in the, in, in the show but we're having a bit of a trouble breaking out of that. I mean, we sort of have hit a plateau in our listenership, and I would love to get um, to ask for your help in kind of breaking through that bubble, breaking through that ceiling, and getting some more people involved in the conversation. So another plea to um, get out there and share, rate, review, share the podcast on your social channels, tell your friends about it, tell your mom, grab her iPhone, uh, help her set it up, all those things. I've set it up on, uh, on my mom's phone and a few others. So um, yeah, give us some help growing the listenership. Okay, so enough uh, self-promotion there. We're going to turn our attention to today's episode. Today's guest is Dave Glazier. Dave Glazier is the president of MoFi, formerly known as the Montana and Idaho Community Development Corporation. So they recently rebranded. They went from Montana and Idaho CDC to MoFi, and um, geez, it's a lot easier to say. So uh, we're going with MoFi here. But uh, we talked to Dave about that, and in all seriousness, this was a really, really special episode in the sense that Dave and I talked about an issue that's been um, one that I've been reading and, and researching and just getting more and more familiar with, and that is bankability and this swath of the population that is just below bankability. Combined with that issue, and Dave and I get into this in the podcast and in our discussion, is this, um, this, this notion, and it's counterintuitive, but how expensive it, it is to be poor, to be low income. And we get into the details of, of, of those dynamics in today's discussion it's pretty poignant. And the work that MoFi is doing is really special because they are trying to get involved in that space and help people become bankable, whether it's to afford a new home and they just need some help getting the down payment. The The Home Now program is one that MoFi has recently launched and it's been really successful. On the, on the other side, they're also helping businesses 
that might not be bankable, that the bank just can't take a risk on, and people that don't have the network of friends and family to get them off the ground with a little bit of capital, MoFi steps in, and they've done a ton of financing of local businesses in that in in that space. So, critical organization has made incredible contributions to the to the Missoula and much more broadly Montana, and and I think they're operating in f- uh, five states now. So it's an organization that's making tremendous contributions to the growth of the Northern Rockies, and Dave and his team are doing exceptional work. So I'll turn you over to Dave Glazier. So I'm here today with Dave Glazier from MoFi. Dave, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So MoFi is a relatively new organization uh, in terms of its brand, formerly Montana and Idaho Community Development Corporation. That's, That's a mouthful. Right. mouthful. Yeah, it takes yeah. a long time to say it. <laughs> I can see why you'd want to rebrand. Yeah. So that became official early in May. Is that right? It did. And okay. uh, it stemmed from our expansion uh, to the new states. Yeah. It's kind of hard to stand in front of people and ever say Montana and Idaho CDC, but particularly if that person lives in Wyoming. So. Yeah, that's a tough sell. Yeah. Sure. So seven states now, did you say? Uh, five states. Five states. Okay. But it started right here in Missoula, Montana. And so give us a little bit about what MoFi is all about. I mean, the basic idea, well, you tell me the basic idea. So the basic idea, the reason we exist is to provide responsible, flexible financing to people who are just outside of bankability. Okay. Or to provide incentive financing for projects that otherwise wouldn't happen in a, in a economic, ec- economically distressed area. So downtown Missoula. Sure. So individuals that, you know, maybe just can't qualify for a traditional home loan or businesses that maybe, you know, the bank won't take a look at or, you know, they don't have angel friends or or any of those things. That's exactly right. So if you go to a bank and you're trying to buy a home or you're trying to uh, start a business, maybe it's a nonprofit that's seeking financing. Okay. Um, And they can't quite get it done. That's where we step in. Yeah. Yeah. And so with the long view that ultimately we're trying to help more and more people build wealth in their lives and then be bankable, right? Ultimately not remain nearly bankable, but in fact get ahead. Right. You try to grow them out of that category, if you will. Right. And so you guys have a hand in a ton of development in downtown Missoula, a lot of development that, that folks who are listening might not be aware of. Is that right? Yeah. So um, we've been in existence since 1986. Yeah. It was in around 2007 where we really started to be prolific in our activity. Hmm. That's um, interesting. That seems like a time when a lot of people became less bankable. You were right ahead of that, right? Yeah, we were pretty busy in 2008 and 2009. But some large projects that stick out, uh, the Poverella Center, the Missoula Food Bank's new headquarters, uh, the Garlington Lord Robinson building. Uh, we're a little part of the Mercantile Hotel downtown, um, as well as a, a bunch of small businesses, Main Street small businesses. Uh-huh. One of our more famous clients, Betty's Divine, Clyde Coffee. Sure. Um, for a time, the Dram Shop. Okay. And so, you know, helping these businesses get that really specific, fi- the, the really key piece of financing that helps them get ahead and ultimately move away from us and onto a bank. That's why we exist. And what's the typical mechanism through which you help out these these small Main Street-style businesses? 
So we'll provide flexible capital, right? So yeah. This is uh, capital to businesses that can't get it at a bank. Yep. And it um, comes along with love. So each of our business loans comes with a CFO for hire. Yeah, okay. Businesses not step in the mud for the first two years. Uh -huh. So those first couple of years, whether it's a startup or not, um, you take on all that debt and it's tenuous. It's hard running a small business. And so we're kind of a friend. Um, you know, equity investors, they take a seat on the board. Well, we don't do that. Uh -huh. We take a seat in the garage next to the people that we help um, with our financing and go through their QuickBooks with them. Roll up the sleeves and make sure they're getting it That's done. Exactly right. Is there any kind of typical um, you know, attributes you look for in one of these small businesses where you can know, okay, this is one worth bet betting on and this is one worth, you know, maybe maybe giving them more coaching than money or, you know, that, that kind of mix of interventions? There are a whole bunch of things, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but the one thing over the years of doing this that I think stands out more than any other, really smart people listen to others' advice. Okay. And people who are willing to at least hear what you have to say um, tend to be more successful than not. Right? Yeah, absolutely. They're pulling in advisors and helping them make decisions because none of us has all the answers. And... Um, successful entrepreneurs, business owners, people generally who um, aren't afraid to listen. Yeah, and it would seem that you can you can sort of identify that fairly quickly with somebody if they're sort of intellectually curious, willing to learn, or if they're they're fairly rigid and think that they have it all figured out. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's of for small business loans. Yeah, for sure. And some of the bigger projects, some of the real estate projects, like you mentioned, the Garlington Law, Lawn Robinson building, I mean, that's a huge project. What is sort of your, it can't be just you you guys alone financing that. No. Like, so, how's that work? The way that works, that's new market tax credit financing. Okay. You get the tax credits, sell them to bank investors, and then take the proceeds of that sale and put it into the project as a subsidy to help make the project happen. Okay. And GLR in particular here in Missoula, this was back in 2009. Stuff was not going really well. Uh -huh. And so um, their decision to stay downtown was a big deal for downtown Missoula. Yes. Their decision to add retail on the ground floor was a very big deal. Their decision to ultimately sell their building to the county. These were all things that are incredibly, their old building, not the new one, um, incredibly important to that low-income area and economic vitality. And I'll never forget, I was at a presentation the following year by the Bureau of Business and Economic Research, uh -huh. and Paul was giving his um, talk about the economy. And it's rare that economists are really, really frank. Often they are obtuse with their language, right? <laughs> or, at no least, to economists. Yeah, or, bit, or at least very qualified. Very right. qualified, right. And, and Paul was talking about how bad it was. He said, I don't have any good news for you today, right? except one thing. And that was that non-residential construction this year remained flat in Missoula. And he said, there's one reason for that, and that's the Garlington London Robinson hmm. building. And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, that, that those are impacts, right? Like non-construction jobs as a result of these pro projects, but it's not the main driver of that project for us. And I just remember thinking, man, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of families who had income in a time when lots of people did not. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it was a good moment. Well, and much more than just the moment. I mean, that's sort of an inflection point, if you will. Like, project like that doesn't go 
and the downward trajectory maybe continues a project like that goes and it changes the whole scope of what downhills uh, downtown's about yep. and you know other other people maybe think oh yeah let's build in downtown and and let's make the, our building really nice for Center State Bank and yeah. new Merck Hotel and then the student housing. I mean, anybody walking around downtown Missoula right now isn't thinking times are tough. I mean, gosh, it's transformed. Yeah. Just in the, I mean, I've lived here six years and that whole corridor is, it's amazing. We have a, the better, one of the better downtowns in the whole Northern Rockies. Yeah. And so when you think about that, you, you guys play a distinct role in that development and facilitating lot of it but how do you kind of whether it's as an organization mofi or just you know as a citizen of, of the community how do you kind of think about growth and what's the appropriate amount style kind of it's what if you ask that we don't think about that that much okay i mean our role in the world isn't to, to decide what missoula looks like so you guys are not arbiters you're facilitators That's in a exactly way exactly right we show up in these communities with our bank partners you asked earlier you know we Finance the GLR building with First Security Bank Missoula. Okay. So the two of us went in together and made that happen. And um, that's what we do all across the five states. You show up and the community say, we want to do X, Y, Z. These are the kind of businesses we're trying to recruit. Can you help us? Mm -hmm. I think a really good recent example is Caldwell, Idaho. Okay. And uh, Steve Fultz, he runs the economic development there. And, he called me one day and said, yeah, why don't you come over and give us a talk? And I talked to him about what we do. And five years later, we've now invested almost $50 million in Caldwell, Idaho. Wow. Making these things happen for them. They wanted more manufacturing jobs. They set aside a business park specific to it. They were really smart about planning where they were headed. And those kinds of communities can work really well with an organization like ours. Yeah. And what is... So help listeners and help people understand, like, how, how does kind of your portfolio work, if you will? Like, where, you know, people understand the basic bank model where people have savings accounts and then the banks lend money out of those savings accounts. I think people might have come to understand the way the mortgage industry works with pass-through securities and, and all that. But how does, how, what are the dynamics of the loans you guys make and, and you know, how do you make it possible? Yeah, so we're a non-bank lender. We do not take deposits. Okay. We work in cooperation with banks all across those five states. I joke sometimes that on site, I know commercial lenders in five states. That's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. Because that's who we work with. Right. And now with this new mortgage product, the same is true with mortgage loan officers across, well, across Montana anyway for that matter. And so we raise capital. We raise capital from banks. We borrow money from big banks. Uh -huh. We borrow money from regional banks. We borrow money from individuals. We get some government grants. We get um, gifts from individuals. Sure. We gift to our loan fund, which is our equity. We're not a for-profit company, so we don't offer equity mm -hmm. um, shares in our company. Yet we need equity to leverage all of that debt that we're borrowing. Yeah. And so we do that, put all that money together, and then we turn around and we find opportunities all across those five states where people are just outside of what a bank can do. We can use our money to help get them to bankable, and then they pay us off and we move on to the next mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. And so what is the typical duration of an engagement? For small business lending, it's about 26 months. Okay, so relatively quick. Yeah. They're either yeah. going to go or not go. Our job is to make them bankable and move on. 
Yeah, and that that kind of aligns with a lot of the new thinking in startups. You know, the lean startup, fail cheap, fail fast kind of, you know, kind of ideology in, in at least how we're coaching young entrepreneurs. It probably aligns with how you're kind of coaching as well. Yep, and we're helping them in those with the small business loans. We're helping them focus on the three things that, in our experience, matter the most, and that's your accounting, okay, your marketing and your general management. So signing contracts, leases, these are the places where businesses go to die if you do them badly. Hmm. And so we're helping businesses not do those big mistakes in the first couple of years and then become bankable. What are some of the sort of typical pitfall mistakes that you, you see or you try to help people avoid? You know, the big thing in accounting is understanding how important to get the data in correctly. Okay. And then running financial reports and just managing to them. Mm -hmm. So we'll sit down and talk through what that looks like um, and help well, to just today we were talking about a gas station and um, how that gas station was struggling because um, the margin was so poor on gas mm -hmm. and so focusing on other products that it has a better margin on so that you're doing better yeah being focused on the right thing the gas is just i never even thought of that the gas is just a uh, a way to get them in the door right right Let's, yeah. let's at least hope that you break even on the gas. Maybe do a little bit better than that. Sure. Um, but bring them, in, bring them in for other things. That's yeah. Right. I remember there's this case study I did early on in business school. There was about a movie theater and kind of the how to how to allocate your 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 product line, your, your investment in your various product line, and kind of the optimal answer was give the movie tickets away yeah. as a device for selling popcorn and soda pop. Yeah, right. I mean, one of my favorite nights ever in Missoula, we, I went to watch The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Played for free, right, downtown. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking how smart Nick is, right? Get him in the door, give him a free movie, and then the bars are running the entire time in the back. And I yeah. have no idea if, if he makes money off of those events, but it sure was magical. It was to the brim, full. Sure. You know, we're kind of, I mean, we're, we're making fun of it, but... At the core is an important insight is to understand how your business operates and where the money comes from, where it goes out. Exactly. And you might think of yourself as owning a gas station, but if you limit yourself to thinking that you're selling gas, then you know, that's pretty short-sighted. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I wanted to shift gears into another kind of somewhat new uh, program you guys have been into, and that's uh, affordable, um, you know, helping people um, get into the housing market. Yep. You know, I, I can't remember the name of the program. Uh, it's called Home Now. Yeah, so that helps people put together a down payment because that's a big uh, barrier of entry into the housing market for a lot of folks, right? That's exactly, it's the barrier. The barrier. And um, so, you know, our organization is, our driving purpose, right, is to help people mm -hmm. build wealth and ultimately economic vitality in their lives. And we did it with small business lending. We've done it with some other types of co-op lending and um, large-scale finance with new market tax credits. But we really saw the opportunity to help a whole lot more Montanans by purchasing a home because it's the single best way for Americans, period, to build wealth yeah. and ultimately um, something to retire on and or pass on to your kids. And so um, we saw lots of barriers to entry for potential homeowners in Montana who lack a down payment but have decent credit and good income. Mm -hmm. um, and so we launched it about a year and a half ago, a little more than that. And 
as of today, we've helped 110 Montanans buy a home. Wow, that's amazing. About 25 of those right here in Missoula. Okay. And those people are average age, 33 years old. They received an average um, down payment assistance from us of about $8,000. Largest was 14000 Okay. And um, we provide that down payment assistance either as a grant. Okay. Literally. As a yep, grant, yep, yep. Or as now a 0% deferred second mortgage. So that what, they pay it off when they sell the house or something? They pay it off when they sell the house or pay off their mortgage. Okay. They're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no, there's no interest. So it just sits there working for them over that period of time. Yeah. And um, what we wanted to do was make the program easy to access, easy to use, not intimidating, and cost competitive so that people in uh, Missoula and all across Montana um, can actually do the thing that's most important for building wealth, and that is buy a home. Yeah. The other thing we've done is try to make it super easy for people, right? So they simply, in Missoula anyway, they go to one of our approved lenders, whether that's Man Mortgage or Guild Mortgage, First Interstate Bank, Opportunity Bank, and now Rocky Mountain Bank. They go there and say, hey, I'd like to look at using home now. Okay. And the, the fun thing for, for me, as, as just as a person, right, it's my job to do this, but um, my children's teacher used it. Oh, wonderful. Thank you note. I never told her about it. Yeah, yeah. And she sent me a thank you note. And then uh, my friend who works at the trailhead used it. And over and over and over again, I started realizing how many people are in this position. Yeah. And how much impact this um, product could potentially have on thousands of Montanans. Um, so it's a good, a good moment for me. Yeah, when you think about it, I mean, the, the real estate market here, and I've lived in other areas where it's similar, it's like the, the, the difference between a mortgage payment and a, and a rent for a similar property is not that much. Oftentimes, you're upside down. Yeah, exactly. And so, yes, the down payment is, in many cases, the barrier. Yeah. yeah. So ours is up to 5% of the loan amount, which is, can be a significant amount of money. Yeah, and that highlights this notion of <clears throat> of bankability and, and people who are bankable and not. And you know, I've been doing some reading on sort of you know, uh, income distribution, wealth distribution, wealth inequality, racial income gap, things like that. And and one of the things that is sort of salient is how expensive it is to be lower income. And that, you know, it's sort of a pithy way of saying it, but there's a lot of costs that, that people who are poor have to incur that, that people who do have a bank account or have a, a higher degree of wealth do not. And things like, and we were talking about this earlier, things like if you don't have a bank account, you have to go to Missoula Water and pay your water bill in cash. And if you have to do that, like think of all the other utilities you have. And you have to take time out of your day, whether it's your lunch break or you got to take unpaid time or all those things. Those sorts of things stack up and have costs um, in terms of stress, in terms of time, in terms of potential income lost, all these things. So, so do you guys think about that role? It's part of your mission in a way, but like, how does that kind of come through in the culture of your organization? Yeah, it for sure is a part of our um, organization's mission. That is helping people it's stated differently than our mission, but helping people become bankable, right? Yeah. To not have that extra work or the very, very expensive financing you might get from an online lender. Mm -hmm. um, having our customers 
access more flexible and responsible financing yeah. so that they can move more quickly to a bank um, rather than less. And, you know, if you think about the home now part, the home now product, so they go to a bank and the bank says, yes, we would lend you a mortgage if MoFi provides the down payment. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so you yeah, have that partnership again. It's a yeah, yeah. perfect um, marriage of our organization and lending institutions helping people because they want to help these lenders really do want to help yeah and um they don't want to have to say no to people they want to help more and this is a great it's a, it's just fun i just came from a lender's office right before i came here okay you can tell they're like oh man this is awesome i get to give choices to my customers mm-hmm. you can choose to have instant equity or you can choose to have a lower monthly payment right home now so it's it's fun yeah and it's doing an incredible amount of good in the world i guess i didn't expect that um when i first got into finance the level of good that i would get to be a part of with my colleagues at mofi yeah so let's get into that a little bit dave like what kind of what was your entry point to this organization and kind of what led you to you know I just sort of use my personal story as a bit of an aside, but, or as an entry point here, you know, I got an undergraduate finance degree and, and all my classmates were going to Wall Street. That's what they wanted to do. I knew I liked finance. I knew Wall Street wasn't for me. So, you know, you don't have like, you don't have the typical finance job. How did, how did you get to this seat? Nor do I have the typical finance background. <clears throat> um, I was recruited by an alumnus of the MBA program here. Okay. Work at, at that time, it was called MCBC. Uh-huh. And uh, her name is Heidi Yarmit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Heidi uh, recruited me to come in and work um, as a partner to her to grow this company that we saw lots of potential um, for doing good across a much larger geography. So back then, in 2007, we served four counties. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And we served those four counties with about $5 million under management. And we saw that there were lots of nearly bankable people all across Montana, ultimately Idaho, Wyoming, so the whole geography. Um, And we set about growing the organization. So I came to uh, MoFi as a catalyst for that growth. Okay. Um, Heidi recruited me because that's what I was good at previously. Yeah, what were you doing before that? I worked for a company here in Missoula called Rithron Associates, an aquatic macroinvertebrate consulting. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it is a big worked, switch. So yeah, yeah. For science firms. Um, and I haven't looked back. You know, I never thought I would end up working in finance. Yeah. Any of my friends that you might meet would think there's no way we would have thought he would have ended up in finance, but it is a really good fit. So. Yeah. Interesting. So tell us about this new market tax credit program. So what, what exactly is that? How did it come to be? And, and how does it fit into the way you guys kind of create opportunity for, for... So when you look at all of our products, all of our products involve finance. And some of the finance is directly to a Montanan or a Missoulian's yeah. business. Okay. Some of it is indirect with our down payment assistance so that they, they can get a mortgage from our lender. And then we have tax credits. We're not, with the tax credit financing, what we are trying to do is incentivize a company to do something it otherwise would not. And in the case of new markets, often that is either creating jobs in low-income areas uh-huh. or creating um, 
providing direct services for low-income people. So right. in Missoula, and you look very clearly, the first, when we're providing direct services, we finance the Pavarello Center. Uh-huh. And the Pavarello Center is helping low-income people, emergency homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And then in the case of Garlington, it was about creating and maintaining jobs in the downtown, the low-income area, one of the low-income areas of Missoula. And so um, we've financed manufacturing companies, we have financed health clinics all across the state. Um, that is what we're trying to do with this incentive rate financing. Okay. To the tune now of about $430 million. Wow. Across the, the last 10 years. Wow. Across all the states? Idaho and Montana. Idaho and Montana. We're that, working on some projects now in Wyoming. Yeah. And so, you know, as you guys sort of, you and know. That's $430 million of investment that wouldn't have happened without the numerated tax credit financing. So we're bringing some extra money to the table that then pulls in the other 80 to 85% all of a sudden, right? Yeah, it's not really an either or, right? <clears throat> you know, it's like what we talked about before with the, the Garlington Lawn Robinson building. If that doesn't happen, continue downward trajectory. But if it does happen, like all these other things layer on top of it. So this, the, yeah, the work you're doing is so important in that sense. And do you guys do any kind of analysis as to... Yeah, it's four hundred thirty million, but like, what are the 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 net returns to that over time? Is is we that do. we do impact studies of our work? Yeah, and project specific. Okay. Um, at the time of, and then uh, at ten years, we look back, and we actually uh, had a professor from the university here help us do a longitudinal study mm. of our impact over 30 years, Helen. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was another professor, actually, from the university that helped us do something quite remarkable. Um, that was Keith Jacob. Uh-huh. Um, helped us uh, develop an algorithm to better understand who and how and why people repay loans that we make uh, loans to. Interesting. And that algorithm has dramatically helped us scale our financing to do a whole lot more. Um, with this, the same rough level of loan officers. Scale in terms of you can quickly identify these attributes that... More quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly right. So what are some of the things? I mean, you mentioned sort of willingness to accept advice earlier. What are, yeah, you know, yeah. Can you going to divulge some of the key no. variables in the algorithm? You know, the single most important thing when we look at repayment ability of our loans is if we're in it with a bank. So if a bank is also going in it with us, interesting. we're going in together, it helps us create somebody bankable faster because they have a relationship with the lending institution. I see. Okay. So, oh, what do you think the mechanics of that are? I mean, I know we're in the weeds here, but like, does that matter to the borrower? I think so. That are accountable to two parties? or oh, I, I don't think that's it really. Because if you think about you were talking earlier about um, income inequality yeah. and wealth gap. Yeah. It comes down to who you know, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have a relationship with a bank or a doctor or whomever, you're going to more quickly access services and get help than you would if you don't know. Oh, I see. And so if we can catalyze that relationship with yep. people that we're helping to help get them entrance into those institutions, that's a, that's a win. And so... Anyway, I think it's important. And so those are the people that would, and maybe it helps you identify people that are like, of the unbankable people that are the closest. So the the lower hanging fruit or the higher hanging fruit in a way. I I don't know quite how you articulate that, but. um, The the things that are least important for small business lending anyway are are equity. 
Okay. And closing. Yeah. Um, and collateral. We still take collateral. Huh. We still take equity if it's available. But it's just not that important to the repayment ability of our loan. Which is, is somewhat counterintuitive, you would think. And, and from the borrower's perspective, I think it's counterintuitive. They think, oh, yeah, I got to have this collateral or, you know, this certain amount of equity in the business. And they might even think of those as barriers to even asking or even engaging in the system. That's right. And um, over time, and this is why banks really like working with us, because we are working with folks and moving them from point A to point B, and we're doing it fairly rapidly. Uh-huh. It used to take us 36 months to make somebody bankable. Now we're down to 26, and we're yep. going to get to 18 within the next two months. Wow. What's this typical cycle for somebody working with you to, to, to kind of get the capital get, to get going? Like from the point where somebody comes in the door and says, hey, I need help. Like what are the steps involved? So for each product, it's very different. Um, for our home now um, down payment assistance, they go just directly to the lender. They don't even come to us. Okay. They don't ever have to talk to us if they don't want to. Uh-huh. Um, they don't apply for our money. It, it, they go to the lender that's an approved home now lender, and the lender just locks the down payment. Wow. Okay. Okay. So it's real, real easy. Sure. Um, when it comes to small business lending, people come to us if they've gone to a bank and they can't get the capital or if they know they're not bankable. Which means oftentimes they have everything together that they need to apply for a bank loan. And so it can move re- relatively quickly. Uh, one of my favorite examples, uh, a couple of years ago, somebody called us on Friday who had their deal fall apart on a lender okay. on the other side of the state in Billings. We took it to underwriting that afternoon. We took it to committee on Tuesday and we funded the loan on Thursday. Wow. And so what we've tried to do for people who are outside of bankability is give choices, right? Give them choice as well as customer service, which they're not accustomed to getting. Yeah, exactly. That you know, they're not they're not the friend of the bank in, in a way. Yeah. And so we want to make them friends of the bank, right? So we try to bring that relationship all together and work with more and more people to get them ahead. Yeah. You guys find that. Um, in your work, you end up working with, you know, different ethnic groups, different genders. You know, what are what are the kind of the are there are there various groups, disadvantaged groups that you try to target, or that you try you, you end up consuming your ser- services more than others, or how do you approach that? Good question. So, we don't target groups per se. Yeah, we provide capital to people that are outside of bankability. But what that looks like in the Northern Rockies is the, the people who have a harder time getting bank loans are women, mm-hmm. are minorities. And in Montana, that's primarily Native American. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're rural communities, people who live in rural places. They're people who live, live in low-income neighborhoods or are low-income themselves. Those are the five groups that we see pretty consistently having a hard time getting financing, getting bank capital. And um, there are years where we see as, ma- as much as 98% of our lending going to those groups of people it most, predominantly. Yeah, and is that both through the home now and through you know, small business types of engagement? It's a little um, early yet. Okay, okay. We've only been doing it 18 months. Yeah. But yeah, we are, what we are seeing, what we are seeing is, interestingly, 50% of the people using home now are single. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did not expect that. Huh. Um, lots of them are teachers. Lots of them are people who work for the city. 
Yeah. Um, police officers, firefighters, uh, healthcare workers. And that's, you know, that's a growing problem in many communities. You know, I lived in Southern, in um, the Bay Area for a number of years. And, you know, this was in the late 90s. It's sort of the first wave of the tech boom. And there was this big concern about, hey, these these places are growing wealth so rapidly that critical constituents in the community are being priced out of the marketplace. Teachers can no longer afford to live in the towns in which they teach. Police officers, the same. Mm-hmm. Service workers in that, in that area. So the, the, the mechanism you're describing seems like a great way for communities to keep key constituents, key members of the communities living inside its boundaries. That's exactly right. I mean, the employers, I've given talks at some major employers because those yeah. employers really, really want their staff people to have access to homeownership. Right. Because it is nothing but good for their workforce. Mm-hmm. So I've given talks at hospital systems and um, Walmarts and Lowe's. Yeah. Uh, staff meetings about using home now to finally afford a home. Right. And so as you guys look forward, I mean, you've done this rebranding and you've expanded into multiple states now. And, and what's... What's kind of on the horizon as you know, as president of the organization? What are you kind of thinking about in terms of the next five years, the next ten years for MoFi? Let's go ten years, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's dream big. You know what we have done to date over the last ten years is make sure that, starting in Missoula, right, that the people in Missoula had access to the kinds of financing they needed to get it, mm-hmm. right. And as we expand, there are places where we're realizing, hey, they need a different kind of financing here, right? And so um, long-term, I've lived all over the American West, from Tucson to Missoula, or in between. And um, the Rocky Mountain West is a unique place with unique attributes and unique struggles. Uh And I know that place, and a lot of the people in the company know that place. And if we could provide the things we do from the Mexican border to the Canadian border along sure. the rib of the Rockies, that'd be a win. Yeah, and that's a nice way to conceptualize it. And I think you're right. Like the, There's a lot of diversity in that swath of the region, but there are a lot of commonalities. One of the commonalities we talked about, and we explored this a lot in the podcast, is a lot of wonderful places to live that are difficult to live in in terms of creating a good job and financial stability and you know, engaging in home ownership and and those dynamics are changing rapidly as you know people retreat from more densely populated areas and, and bid up the real estate prices and yeah so the work that you guys are doing is just more and more important as we move forward yeah um many of these economies started out in the extractive industry. Yeah, exactly. And now they're moving into tourism. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there are second and third homeowners. And it makes it so that the people that live there, it's hard to make a living. You have to create a living. Yeah, exactly. And so um, that pain is felt by everybody who works in our company. We know what that looks like. And it, uh, it allows us to um, plug into these communities and quickly get to brass tacks. How do we help you? Yeah. Uh, I think Boise is a perfect example. So we did our very first loan in, in Idaho in 2012. Okay. By 2016, 50% of our loans were in Idaho. Wow. And it's flat out because there was a need 
and then we knew how to come in and plug in. Yep. And so now we have an office in Boise, um, an office in Bozeman, and our main office here in Missoula. Yeah. And I would anticipate that um, once we sort of fully engage with the current geography, we'll be looking south to places that can also lose it. Sure. And so the Home Now program, I mean, that you, you said that's somewhat automatic to the, to, the, to the borrower. They walk into the bank and... Although it's it's probably good for for people listening that maybe are interested in buying a home or you know feeling like they can't make that down payment. Or have a friend. Or- yeah, or whatever. Like, <clears throat> hey, this down this home now program exists. Go to your bank and ask about it. Is that kind of the mechanism? Yeah, you you might go to our website www.mofi.org, m-o-f-i.org, um, to look who the approved lenders are. Got it. Start there. Yeah. 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 So. There's that, but if you're kind of somebody that's thinking of starting a business or or mulling around an idea, yeah, at what stage of the process should they come and talk to you guys? So the University of Montana has some pretty awesome right. We do startup between the Blackstone Launchpad and the Small Business Development Center mm-hmm. and something called the Procurement Technical Assistance Center (PTAC). So all three of those things are on the U of M campus and help people in that idea stage. I want to take something and actually make it into a business. People come to us once they have gone to a bank or, and the bank says, yeah, we can't really help you talk to MoFi. Or if they know flat out, I'm not somebody who can get a bank loan, um, might give us a call. Almost always, 90% of the time, it comes to us from bank. Okay. The lender at the bank says, gosh, I really wish I could help this person. Yeah, yeah I can't, but you should talk Let's to Let's talk. Okay. Yeah. And if you're one of those folks that's coming in to try to engage with, with MoFi, you know, coachability is what we, we talked about, but like, what are some, what are some tips to, hey, if you're going to come in and talk to us, at least have your game in order. Like, what, what, what does that mean, having your game in order? So if you're going to start a business... You have projections. Yeah. You don't have to have a full-blown business plan. Sure. Just forget it, right? But if you had a couple pages, like, hey, this is where we are, this is where we're headed, this is how I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. that's a great start. Yeah. Um, a couple of years of tax returns and plenty of other things, but those will get, the banker will ask you for those when you get there. Yeah. If you walk into a, a lender, actually, you know what you should do? When you're thinking about it and you start to get a really good idea that you're going to do it, Go talk to a lender right then. Tell them, hey, listen, my name is so-and-so, and I'm thinking about doing this business. Uh-huh. I'd love to know what you need me to show up with in two months when I'm ready. Yeah. There you go. That's the best thing to do. Awesome. Okay, so you, you listed out the website a, a minute ago. I want to give people just sort of a last sort of how, how do they get in touch with your work. MoFi.org is the place to go? That's right, MoFi.org. Awesome. Well, Dave, super fun to learn about all the cool things that you guys are doing in the community, both the visible and the invisible pieces, and um, really play an important role. And thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Justin. And thanks for coming on the podcast. All right, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dave. And again, check out uh, Home Now if you're in that category of folks that are trying to claw together enough of a down payment or having trouble doing it to, to get into a home or if you got a business idea that's uh, 
clunking around in the back of your brain and you want to make it a reality, these these people can help and this organization can help. So check them out. Uh, next week, we have somebody you might think of as, as somewhat of a polarizing guest in this community, and that is Kayla Spaller, the UM beat reporter for The Missoulian. So I got the chance to sit down with Kayla. We talk about her approach to journalism. We talk about her approach to sourcing. We talk about the role that the Missoulian plays in uh, this community, Western Montana, its relationship with the university. Try to pin her down on her thoughts for the uh, enrollment struggles and the effect of the sexual assault scandal here at the University of Montana. So far-reaching conversation. I give Kayla a lot of credit for coming on the podcast. I had to twist her arm a little bit, and she was willing to answer uh, any and all questions. So tune in next week for UM's beat reporter, Kayla Spaller. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're one of the largest electrical wholesale companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in Missoula, and they have a keen interest in the University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things with creativity and hustle, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the show. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu slash anewangle. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few people for making this project happen. First of all, Elizabeth Willey, Communications Director here at the University of Montana College of Business. I'd also like to thank recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke and our fabulous interns Savannah Sletton and Max Gibson. And a special thanks to VTO for providing the show with music. Finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borson. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time. Oh.